64, a chess podcast, is now sponsored by Chessable. To learn more about Chessable and about my favorite courses there, go to chessable.com slash 64pod. to another episode of 64 a chess podcast i am david coming at you live from copenhagen as always joining me this week is grandmaster noel studer from switzerland how's it going it's going well very well thank you david for having me yeah well, uh, so i mean i've been trying to do this uh for um close to a year i think the first uh i think i emailed you back in april i have to go back and check to be sure but i think that was the first time i and then it was uh well I'm, I'm pretty busy check back on a few, in a few months then I DM'd you and I said you know try again in a few months if we tried again and we got it so uh, I'm really glad that we're doing this um yeah it's uh, I guess we'll get right into it but uh, before we begin just want to thank my sponsors as always um thank you Chessable for sponsoring the podcast check out chessable.com/64pod if you're interested in the work that Chessable is doing and uh shout out to Aim Chess you can use code David30 to get your first month off of Aim Chess I guess we'll uh We'll dive right in. So, uh, Noel, you uh, you retired from professional chess a couple of months ago uh, in August 2021. And uh, a few months prior, you said that you'd be focusing full-time on your blog, Next Level Chess. So, uh, I guess, let just uh, start and introduce yourself a little bit. Like, what is Next Level Chess and who is it designed for? So, first of all, I hope it's worth the wait. Uh, <laughs> it was a long time that you tried. And, uh, you know, persistence is important. That's the key and in chess, right? Persistence in chess is like the most important thing. So Absolutely, absolutely. And um, so, yeah, I actually started the blog right around a year ago from when we um, re uh, record this one. And I just tried. I had in mind back then when I started, I was like, I want to do something different. But I wasn't 100% sure, will I really end my career or what is happening? But I just wanted to share um, some information, some things that I, um, you know, worked on my own for like 10 years on how to improve my chest, on how to improve myself in general. And I felt like it's, it's sad to just keep all these things for myself. Uh, so it was just a, a drive to try to, you know, share some things and, and it just blew my mind how many people suddenly got interest in it. Um, and that's why also then I, I decided to focus fully on the blog for now. And um, it is made for anyone, for any level that wants to improve their chess game. So basically the only important thing um, I would say is that you have a minimal um, interest in getting better at what you do. So if you just want to, you know, sit back and lie around and, and enjoy chess, but you're not ready to like think about how you want to get better, then I think it's not the perfect place. But if uh, no matter level, um, what level you are, if you want to, you know, bring your chess to the next level, um, then the blog is great, I think. And I actually have grandmasters that I've met up to 2700 that are writing me that they like uh, the stuff I'm writing or just complete beginners. So the, the span is really huge. And that's, 
um, quite of a you know struggle, but I believe that um, I want to teach the techniques of training and not like I'm usually not teaching like specifics. Okay, in this position you have to do this, or but I, I try to focus on what everyone can apply to their training, what everyone can do. For example, everyone suffers from losses, so it is useful for everyone to know how you can bounce back after losses. That's the same for 2700 GM or for a beginner. So that's what I try to focus on. Yeah, you had you had one article a couple of months ago that that helped me a lot, actually, um, which is kind of about like tilt. And it was a whole like description of, of tilt from like a psychological perspective. Now, I'm not saying that I stopped getting tilted. But uh, at least now I know when I'm tilting on, you know, playing like a lot of blitz online and I just lose, lose, lose. I know what's happening. And it's like before I, it, it was kind of like a uh, impossible to understand phenomenon. Like, oh, why am I actually 150 points worse or whatever? Now I know like what's going on and I just don't care because um, I, you know, whatever. Sometimes you just want to lose a bunch of blitz games and play weird openings. You know, happens to everybody. Uh, but you've you've written about stuff uh, like about your experience with coaches and about uh, nutrition in chess, I think, from a couple months ago. I think I remember an article like that. Recently, you also wrote an article on Grandmaster Draws, which is, I think, uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of discourse on Twitter about um, quick draws versus, and you you kind of explain the difference. Even to me that I didn't really fully understand the difference between, like, a quick draw and, like, a novelty kind of draw, but you you explain all of that. So I thought, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I mean, I try to bring something new in general, so I'm happy this helps. Actually, the Tilt article was my first article ever that was uh um just i thought like what is bugging me the most and that was the first thing i was writing about and and actually for this one i expected that many people could relate to it because you see it everywhere like why am i awake at three in the morning and just still playing blitz or whatever and i think just by knowing it as you say it's like not preventing you from never doing it again i have to be honest sometimes i'm also playing stupidly blitz you know, just, just on my phone or whatever to kill time. And then I think in the end, like, why did I just do it? I'm even writing on my blog to not do it. But um, yeah, I hope, you know, slowly, slowly you can, you can get into it and, and uh, yeah, understand what, what is psychologically happening um, so that uh, you feel like you want to play the next game and you want to win that game and, and why this is dangerous. What, what was uh, your favorite article that you've written for the blog so far? Uh, about that's, a year. Really, that's really tough. I think for me, one of the, well, obviously the, the um, ending my chess career one was a very personal one because I really got into some of the reasons. And, and um, another one was uh, focusing, um, I think it's called uh, Stop Fear-Based Thinking. And it's about focusing on the process and not on results. Because I have been for a long time pretty result-oriented and um, I have been very competitive uh, in general. So I was always you know, striving to, to get that title or to get more rating or to whatever. And, and it just, it, it can hurt so much if you depend a lot on your, rate, on your rating, on your results. It's just actually not good for your well-being. I realized that as a professional player that when I was too much focused on all the results, like my daily life depended if I played well in chess or not. And, and that was something that just clicked at some point. And actually it's not, I don't think it's one of the articles that is most read or even maybe most well-received, 
But I believe if somebody, you know, reads this and, and is in the same situation or similar situation as me, I believe it can be something that can, you know, change your life and not only, you know, you win two, three games more in chess, but it's something that, oh, wow, it's a different way of looking at life. And for me, it has been a great improvement. Yeah, I, so this is actually, I want to keep talking about the blog, so we'll get back to this, but yeah, this is just a great segue into one of the things I really wanted to talk to you about. Um, so you were the youngest grandmaster in Swiss history. I think at the age of 20, you got your grandmaster title, youngest in Swiss history. Um, Switzerland does not have the like the most uh, storied chess histories, I would say. There have been a lot of great tournaments that are played there. I think Korchenwai represented Switzerland for a long time after he defected. But otherwise, I, I, Switzerland's kind of been like not as present on the chess map, I would say. Um, and, you know, you were a, a professional chess player, I guess, for, you know, from the time you must have been like around the IM to when you retired recently. So that, so why I wanted to ask you about this is um, one of the things that struck me the most reading your blog throughout the months is you talk about how you had to find your own sponsors. Um, so really what I wanted to ask you is, you know, if somebody, you know, reading your blog is, let's say, like 23, 2400, young, talented kids who says, hey, you know, I can either go to college um, or I can, you know, go and shoot my shot and try to push towards GM 2600, 2700 and try to become a professional chess player. Do you recommend that someone in that position goes into professional chess or just kind of says, you know, focus on education right now? I mean, one thing that I think is very important to say is um, I don't believe that playing chess professionally is bad just because I stopped my career. I think it just really depends on your personal preferences and situation. Another thing that I learned is that I think you should, if you want to be a professional player, you should do it not just because you want to, you know, um, maybe make some money with chess or um, reach a certain rating, but you should do it for the love of the game. Might sound, you know, a cliche, but I think it's so important that you, you know, enjoy working on the game and enjoy going to tournaments, even if things go badly, because there will be hiccups. I think that's like number one uh, thing to say. And then I believe, um, I always believe that if I want to be a professional player, I want to make money, not by having to win tournaments, but by having sponsors. And because that just puts less pressure on myself. Like I don't want to go to a tournament end of month and I know I can only pay my bills next month if I finished second or better. And so I think it is worth it to try to invest some time and energy in getting sponsors or in, you know, maybe having some talks or um, finding some way of getting money otherwise than just by your results. Um, but it is not easy. And I think it worked for me because I was close to number one already in Switzerland, or I was then Swiss champion in 2016 already. So if you're like in a huge country with a lot of strong players, obviously sponsoring will be much, much harder if you're, I just say an average IM or GM even. Um, so that matters a lot where you're standing, at least in your region. Now, in, in your case, I mean, um, like, how did you even go to look for sponsors? Were you just kind of emailing people and saying, hey, I'm a, you know, number one or number two Swiss player and I need help getting to tournaments or like, well, what's kind of that kind of process? 
Um, yeah, actually, I was um, supported over the Federation a bit, but just uh, very slightly. And then I, I wanted to get some private uh, sponsors. Um, but it wasn't easy. I, in the beginning, I, I really didn't know too much what I was doing. I tried to make some you know, nice PDF where I explained what I'm about to do and how you can um, reach people through me. But I wasn't much in media. I didn't have big social following. So it wasn't much about numbers, more about, you know, the hope that I might get very strong one day. And then there was a coincidence that um, an uncle of a friend of mine who also played chess um, was a sports manager. And he searched for a chess player um, to try to get some sponsors. So then we worked together and it obviously got easier, but it was still tough, but he had some contacts and that's how I then got into some, some of the um, yeah, positive financial um, collaborations. Now, what, what, like, uh, I know you've talked about this on your blog, but maybe just for people who haven't read your blog, like why, did, why exactly did you like leave chess and um, do you see yourself maybe coming back in the future? Um, I th there were different reasons, but uh, I think the main reason, as I said in the beginning a bit, is something shifted inside me and I, I didn't you know, feel 100% the wish anymore to, to study as much and to put all my heart into, into improving myself. And I somehow derived much more pleasure from helping other people to improve themselves. So that was number one reason. I think one thing that obviously um, also played a role was my health, that I had a, an accident in 2017 and I'm still suffering from, um, from that. So I have uh, very strong back and neck tensions that result in concentration loss. So I'm like at the maximum, I would say of three to four hour um, daily work. And at some point it was much, much less. So it, it was also in a way um, frustrating to try to work, try to train, but then concentration wasn't here. So, okay, let's try next day and so on. So um, it was a mixture of, of these and then also a bit of frustration with the professional chess world, uh, be it in Switzerland or internationally, um, that there are some things you just talked shortly about the grandmaster draws or, uh, you know, don't believe there are many people that really have some big values in chess. So um, that's what I felt that actually people that are playing chess for fun um, seem to be people much more that I would like to hang out with. And many professional players, I don't say everyone, but many professional players weren't really the people I wanted to hang out with. I actually, this is, I was going to ask you like about your thoughts on professional chess today, because I mean, obviously, you know, you said that you know, if you want to be a professional chess player, um, you should look for, you know, ways to make money outside of chess. I know one of these ways is streaming. I know your girlfriend is uh, is a streamer, uh, Alessia Santoramo, uh, someone else I'm trying to get on my podcast at some point. Um, but um, yeah, so I, I, it's it's interesting to me how, there, you know, there are a lot of grandmasters um, who are maybe number one, number two in their country in Europe who are making significantly less money than, you know, quote unquote, weaker players who are making, you know, a killing like through streaming or through other things like lessons and stuff like that. So I guess like, um, I, I, I wanted to just kind of, uh, expand a little bit on like your thoughts on kind of like what, 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 like the state of professional chess, um, like in 2022 and what you think needs to be like better. 
Yeah, I mean, it's uh, like professional chess. I always try to um, differ between professional chess and people that earn their living with chess because I don't see streamers as professional chess players in general. Um, and I saw myself as a professional chess player because the money I got from sponsors was because I tried to, you know, compete. Um, so I think it's very important to understand for also many strong players out there that people that stream, they are paid because they are entertaining and they're fun to watch. And it's completely different thing than if you play um, professionally at tournaments. So I think there are actually many grandmasters that get, you know, jealous of streamers that are so bad or whatever they say, and um, but they earn much more. But I think it's just important to see that it's just a different business model. Like it has nothing to do with you. And um, it, it is just because these people are entertaining and, and understand how communities work. So I think that's also just always a plus for everyone in the chess world. The more streamers there are, the more, you know, people will join chess, the more people will also watch professional events and the more sponsors will come. So that's positive. Um, obviously for people that are just playing chess, I think COVID was extremely hard. And now we have a situation, the war going on in Ukraine, which is obviously for everyone affected, just absolutely horrible. And I think I, I really want to state that publicly, like we have a president that had ties to the Russian government. And I think that's just absolutely you know, a no-go. There's just no way this is, even if he spoke out now, um, I think there's just no way this is this is going to end well. So yeah, I think we are not in a great situation, but, um, you know, there are actually, shout out to many, many private people, private companies that try to, you know, bring chess to the next level. I think uh, Play Magnus Group, um, chess.com, I mean, Lee Chess is not a company, but is doing everything, you know, for free. So all these entities and people that are behind, I think they do so much. And I would hope that federations and officials are starting to do more. Do you think that, uh, that online chess is the future? That's such a difficult question. I think it, it has a future. It absolutely has a future. Um, but I don't think that like at some point we won't have over the board chess anymore and there will be only online chess. But I see online chess also through the lens of entertainment. I think there will be, you know, more and more blitz and rapid tournaments. But you can also see that with this, you know, all these tours and so on, at least for me and I read for some people as well, that... Um, you know, it gets a bit boring after having like 10 tournaments with the same guys and the same formats. So I don't believe that online chess has like the bandwidth or the strength to just be the chess of the future, let's say. Um, I think there is some place for OTB, but um, I think the, the question is how, like, wouldn't maybe, would it maybe be smarter for us to just have an online chess federation and a chess federation? you know, just to divide these two things? Or what is the smartest way of bringing both of them together under one federation, under one hat? That's that's one of the big questions, I think, for the future. I also think, like, um, if you look at the World Championship, like, the streaming numbers for the World Championship, which is, of course, over the board, 
um they were spectacular i mean more people were watching that on twitch than i think anything any other event you you had this thing peaking at like a hundred thousand a hundred fifty thousand viewers i think if i remember correctly i mean that is just like absurd to think about like that's like more popular on twitch than like a lot of these like esports events really and this is you know people pushing wood um and just with some cameras on them in dubai so I, furthermore i mean you know i i've played a lot more o over the board this year um i mean just a little bit about myself i i learned chess basically and i studied chess entirely on computer for like a couple of years so really switching to over the board like a weekly league and stuff like that uh is a lot harder in terms of a switch it's a lot harder to sit in your chair and kind of have to you know calculate for an hour sometimes but um it's it's a lot more fun for me uh it's much much richer and uh this is kind of just something i want to say to the listeners of the podcast i've said this before but you know if you haven't played an over the board tournament you know yet you know with covid getting uh you know a little easier to deal with globally every every day i hope um you should uh, you should definitely consider playing over the board in your local club or whatever because I think first of all the clubs really need it um, and second of all uh, it's just it's a it's a chess like you've never experienced before like it's one thing to win a rapid game that you're really proud of with a chess.com brilliant move or whatever but it's another thing to play over the board sit work um, it's really beautiful I mean it's uh, it's chess like I've never felt it before I don't know what your thoughts are on over like you know that that kind of rush but. Uh... No, absolutely. Like, obviously, on the blog, I have readers from all different, you know, uh, sections on some people that never played an over the board game. But I would also, you know, if you're really interested in chess, then trying it out is certainly, you know, something you should do. Because I, I got into poker recently. And, and there is also you have a lot of online poker, actually. And then you have the live poker. And, and for me, um, you know, playing live, having, you know, a beginning and an end you know you play a tournament or go into a cash game and it's just much richer you you talk to people and and i think actually the the twitter chess scene and and the online chess scene is so big because people feel like a, a need to share things of their game like just sitting at home and playing your own game and not sharing it with anyone is like not as rich as you say as going somewhere maybe with your friends you know you're traveling to a team league and then you eat dinner afterwards together you analyze the game like it's a whole different thing and and i think it brings the hobby to a next level but obviously online is just much easier and to get into it um i completely understand if you feel like okay i just want to play some some online games but I, I suspect if you're listening to the podcast already, you know, you're you're at the point of interest, which is already higher than just um, the normal uh, person at home playing some games. So I think over the board chess would probably be something for you. And just you mentioned you mentioned the league like I, I'm in a I'm in a league, you know, I myself am over the board rating. I don't have an official over the board rating in Denmark, but I would assume somewhere between like 16 and 1800 um that's like the division that i'm in for the league anyway and um yeah like you said like being able to just grab drinks with your teammates after analyze the game or you know like at the club i mean you don't have anything like that in america so that that's something that i kind of uh hope that will change you know now that there's been such an explosion of interest because in general i think and i don't know what this was like for you in switzerland because like like we said i think switzerland doesn't have really the same kind of uh history with chess as like a place like like france or germany let's say um, nevertheless, though, I, I mean, I don't know how it is in Switzerland, but like even in Denmark, which also doesn't really have such a long chess history, aside from like Bent Larsen and Peter Heine Nielsen, um, not, not saying there aren't many great Danish players, there are, but um, 
yeah, the, like the, the Danish league just being able to, you know, a player basically of any level being able to play competitive chess like with a team, like with friends, travel across Copenhagen and beyond. I think that's like really cool. And it really makes the hobby feel so much more meaningful than to like, uh, you know, like just playing some blitz games like late at night. Like you, it really takes the hobby to the next level. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, I would say that I would never have been a professional chess player without, you know, these experiences as a young kid. I mean, I can remember when I when I started, I qualified the first time for the Swiss championship when I was 11. And because one guy then um, couldn't go to the European championship, I was selected uh, to go there as well. So I was like 11. And that time I that traveled with me but with a lot of you know like-minded young uh, guys and then the next year i was 12 and something and and i played my first event internationally without my parents without anyone just you know national coach and some young kids and that's that's what also was big part of of the experience of playing chess you know as a kid just so fun to travel with all these people and and experiencing different cultures and being able to yeah travel around and you know miss two weeks of school to just go to play chess I mean that was just amazing and I think you know there there are certainly perks of online chess like I can imagine for now I could imagine actually more um, you know playing from home and playing some tournaments on my schedule um, rather than you know having to travel around but as a kid it, it was just super exciting and very nice i also think like um i've definitely figured out like how to let's say study openings and how to make that like if i want to learn an opening now i'll like i'll buy the chessable course um and uh you know I'll, I'll go through the lines and then i'll just open up some blitz games and uh you know i'll just uh, as, as often as i can get that i'll play like sometimes like 20 blitz games in a day and as often as i could just get that so, you know, I feel like maybe 20 years ago, if you wanted to like learn an opening, you're practicing over the board and, you know, you're really trying to kind of make the lines work and memorize the lines. And now it's just like, you know, you log in, play, play, play a bunch of games, get the experience and uh, you already can start to get the feel for these kinds of positions like so much more immediately. So, um, yeah, but, it, but I mean, in general, I think that like, um, like also like the way you distinguish between like a prof professional chess, so to speak, it's kind of like you know, somebody like, let's say in football, right, I guess for my American listeners, soccer, um, you know, there are soccer players in leagues all over the world. And then there are also these guys on YouTube who do like the freestyling and stuff like that. I know you, you had some experience actually playing, uh, playing football as a kid as well. I read your, your about me. Um, but, um, you know, the, a lot of these guys who do freestyling on YouTube or whatever, they're, you know, they're, they do it for entertainment and they can make more money than a lot of professional players sometimes like just through ads and stuff like that. But, um, I guess you need both. Because you have people generating interest and you also like, but I, for me, I like, I really, I'm always praying that we just get more like interest in top level chess. I'm saying this just as a chess fan. Like it's, it's nice to know that like there's kind of this succession for a hundred years from like, you know, Steinitz to, uh, uh, well, I guess was Steinitz, Steinitz was the first champion. Yep. Yeah. So from Steinitz to Carlson, you know, there's this mostly unbroken lineage of champions and, uh, yeah. No, I mean, it is, it, it, there is a great history of, of uh, competitive chess, but as you said, it's, you know, it's something that complements each other and some players, I think, don't understand that they, it, because it's not like 
you know, there is, let's say, just 500 million euros in chess overall um, every year, and we have to split it up. And if a streamer gets some of it, then the professional player gets less of it. Like, it, it, this is a very fixed and closed mindset. But actually, growth is happening crazily in chess. And if you even see how many, you know, since I started the blog, I started also researching how many, you know, sites there are that live from giving chess lessons or selling courses or whatever. And it's just insane. So you start to understand that there's so many people that um, offer something or that want to buy something and want to invest money into chess that I shouldn't be angry at somebody selling more than me. But I can, you know, look at them and say, oh, my God, that's so cool. I believe their product is not that great and they already make so much revenue. What that means is that people want to spend money on chess. And if you can even do it better than them, well, then you just earn even more. So it's amazing for everyone in chess, you know, to see how much money these people are ready to pay. Because if you think that the standard chess viewer never pays anything on a course, well, it's very unlikely that sponsors will pay a lot to acquire those customers if they aren't ready to pay some money. But if on the other side, these people, you know, they buy courses, they, they you know, listen to podcasts, they subscribe to newsletters, they do all these things, then obviously top level tournaments will have a much easier time saying like, you know, there are so many people watching that actually like to pay, pay you know, pay good money for quality products. So sponsor us. And, and I think that that makes already a huge difference. And some people maybe are a bit short-sighted in, in, in that view, but I really, really cannot stress enough that it's just very positive for everyone if more people and more money gets into chess. So why isn't there more money in top-level chess? I mean, if we look at the, like the World Championship prize fund, I think it was something like about $2 million. Actually, like I talked about this on my last episode, but like the three main sponsors, I think, were like Algorand, Gazprom, and Fasangro, which are all like the oligarch companies from Russia. So we may never see them in a World Championship match uh, for like a long time. I don't know how this sanction stuff is going to end or how long it's going to last, but I mean, that, I think that's a little kind of a fun detail that they're, the World Championship is basically fully like Russian-funded. Um, but if you compare that to like the 90s, the Kasparov-Karpov matches, I mean, I think the prize pools were like five times greater. I think Kasparov won like $10 million or something. So you you guys can, can fact check me, but I think that it was much higher. And this was in the 90s. So the, the, the top level money has not been growing like you might expect. So I kind of wondering like, like, what do you think is the problem? Is it just sponsors not believing in, in the future of the game? I mean, like, what, what's this? Uh, because like you said, I mean, the amount of people who are interested in chess is greater than ever. And I'm not talking about like casual viewers, like people who are willing to buy chessable courses or like, you know, listen to podcasts, like you said. So like, what, what's this gap in uh, between money and interest? I think actually Kasparov wasn't as much as that, but I think it was a bit higher. Maybe it was uh, 3 million or something like this, but obviously back then it was also, you know, worth more um, with inflation. Um, I think one point is definitely that all these, uh, I, I specifically said private companies or, you know, uh, non-federations, be it the Swiss National Federation or the International Federation. I mean, the private people, they just do such much better jobs. That's number one. Number two, I think FIDE has a reputation of being a very, very, very shady uh, federation from when Ilumshinov was still at the top. 
but um, yeah, I mean, I already said it's it's some you know formerly um, minister of of uh, Russia and friend of Putin that is is the head of FIDE, which I don't know if I would be boss of a Western company already before the war in Ukraine broke out. I I wouldn't be that thrilled to do something with FIDE. Whereas if you do something with the world champion, Magnus Carlsen, or if you do something with Chess.com, you know, um, that, that can be, you know, not hurtful for your image. So I think this is a, a big thing that um, private companies started to understand more how you can, you know, drive these sponsorships, which are not just Russian state, um, you know, or oligarch companies. Um, and I think... Yeah, it just it just matters to think about um, what what does a sponsor want, you know? Not just in chess. I, I understand that many people, for example, also in Switzerland, many people are just thinking about like what should the sponsor give me. But you need to understand like what am I giving to the sponsor? So my head sponsor for the last I think four years was a computer company um, based in Switzerland. And they bought components and you can go online and just, you know, say, I want this graphic card, I want this processor, and then they just build it for you and they send it to you. And I didn't know them. And in chess, obviously, everybody that is ambitious has a computer. So when I found out, when I searched for a computer and I found out like, oh, there is this company that seems very cool, it's a Swiss company, but nobody in chess knows them. I just hit them up and I said like, you know, I'm searching for a sponsor. Nobody in chess knows you. Everybody in chess needs a computer. So I think you have a full new market that you can access through me because I'm the current Swiss champion. And yeah, so I was organizing this tournament. Um, and that's why also I have some experience, you know, searching for sponsors, even for tournaments. And it was actually one of the most funded tournaments in Switzerland. Actually, I had more sponsors than the Swiss championship, which is insane. Um, and I was just once doing a rapid tournament. That's crazy. It's absolutely ridiculous. But okay, I put my heart into it and, and it worked. And um, so I just found out about this company, this computer company, and I just wrote them. Yeah. Um, you know, I would like to give away a computer because like this, not just one GM is coming and is taking this computer, but everybody is like, oh, wow, this computer I wanted. So it, it creates more engagement with their brand also. And, and then I asked them for the computer and the answer was like, sure, we give you the computer, but can we also sponsor you? I was like, yeah, no problem. So I, I managed to understand in this case, like what can I offer them that is so special so that they want to work with me? And I think we, we need to think more in, in that direction. Um, and not only, you know, we want more money, give us money, Oh, what can we give? Uh, I don't know. Uh, we are the World Chess Federation. What do you want more? So I think that's very important. So what do you think about these like uh, like NFT chess projects? I know that there's been some streamers and top players like with this like immortal game NFT project. I think they have a tournament today, like because that's also potentially a lot of money. But I, I um, I'm not against NFTs at all or against crypto. But I know that there's some people in the chess world who also say this is shady. This is you know this is uh like dirty dirty money or, or you know this is like a scam or whatever so i but you know it is it is potential like just for growth in a different like i guess the the so-called metaverse 
I think we've seen a lot of sponsorship coming actually from the crypto and NFT scene. I think Coinbase was a huge sponsor and, and maybe also others. Um, I actually find uh, crypto and NFT extremely interesting. I'm, I would say I'm like 1200 in, in that, or maybe 1500 in that scene. So like, I understand what it is, you know, I understand some of the um, applications and some of the positive effects, but I also understand that it can look very shady. And um, in general, I believe um, it is important that um, also people that represent the company, they really think about like, they, they test that company and they get a feeling if that's the right thing to do. I think that's another problem that we have that many, many people um, that might sound a bit negative, but are just sellouts. They'll just, whoever will give them money, they will just take it. And that might be short-term smart because you don't have many offers. So you just take whatever, but you know, as soon as somebody thinks that you're a sellout, nobody wants to sponsor you anymore. Because even if then suddenly you have a great company, well, people don't trust you anymore. They will not buy whatever you recommend. So I think we have to be careful with that. Um, in that specific case, I don't have enough information on the company to you know, say anything, but what I've seen seemed quite legit. And I think it's something you can use also without having to pay anything. So I think it could be interesting, but yeah, in general, I think many, many players and, and maybe also companies, they think a bit too few, maybe if it's, you know, the right thing to, um, you know, get sponsored by this company, for example, also FIDE with the breast implant sponsors. Oh yeah. Like, I mean, <laughs> sure. Like if I have a big company and I'm sponsored next to a breast implant company for a female tournament. I mean, F you, I will never pay you a cent. You know, you can right. even pay me to be next to this company because like FIDE was all like, um, well, it's for, you know, it's for women's health and blah, blah, blah. And you just go on their webpage and it's just like, make your boobs bigger. It looks better. And so, yeah, I mean, I think it's just so much short-term thinking, but no one, nobody really has a plan for how to build you know, long-term something that really works and that, you know, you have something that um, is valuable and something that people love, a sponsor that people love and not just a sponsor that people pay um, or that the sponsor pays for and people are like, yeah, okay, they get paid. So I watch the ad. I think that's also very important. Yeah. And, you know, not to go into full like paid sponsorship shill mode, but, you know, I've been using Chessable like for since I started learning chess. So, you know, when they approached me to do sponsorship, it was like, yeah, of course, you know, I, I know what they stand for. And, you know, like I, I study chess with them. So, you know, uh, and I, I really think you hit it on the money. Like, I think what chess is really missing right now is, is like that kind of visionary, like leadership um, to be like, yeah, how do we go? You know, we have this huge, huge interest bigger than ever, like globally. How do we actually turn this into something that, you know, is more sustainable? Like, to turn like like some of these like stars like Magnus and Fabiano and like turn people like them into like obviously this is gonna happen in a year or five years or ten years, but to turn those kinds of players into like like household names. I think Magnus now today, most people like who are interested in competitive sports have heard the name Magnus Carlson. But aside from him, I mean there's so many interesting personalities in chess, so many people who with you know comparable levels of talent, like you know, Ali Reza, for example, and 
you know, I would really hope that in the next like 10 to 20 years, like all the interests that like professional, like in professional chess specifically, um, can turn into something that, that more people are watching, more people are following. Like that, that's something that I, I personally really want to see because I, the, the, just like you said, you know, it, it, it all comes back down to the, from, from like the bottom feeds the top and then the top will come and give back. So like, it, it just is, is kind of upsetting to me. Like when you look at Fide um, and even like, like for Kovic, you know, for all the things and his ties to Putin, I actually think was a pretty good Fide president, all things considered, if you compare him to Imzinov or, you know, some of these other guys like Kapamanis. Um, but, uh, you, you know, I, I would really like, I guess this is actually something, another thing I wanted to ask you because the Olympiad has been announced that it's going to be in Chennai fully paid for by the Tamil Nadu government, uh, India. So it's going to be in India. Um, first of all, so I, I, I was just was curious, like, what do you think about, you know, about this, uh, you know, news, like, you know, Olympiad coming to India, but you see like th this government was willing to pay basically like 10 million us dollars, uh, or the equivalent to, uh, to host the Olympiad and to bring like a bunch of people from all over the world. Like that's like, I think very promising to me because um, let's say America never would have done that. Yeah, I, again, I'm not following chess news as much because um, you might have uh, understood that like things like, you know, this Preston plan sponsorship or whatever, you know, just drive me crazy. But I try to stay positive on, on the blog. I actually made an article and some people were like, yeah, we understand that you're doing it. But this was our place where there, it was about positivity and chess and not all this drama. And now, now you bring the drama also here. So I, I try to stay away i actually also i don't follow anyone on twitter anymore so i just stay away from all the chess drama on twitter oh that's pretty um, good though actually you miss you miss you you don't you haven't missed much except like karyakin you haven't missed anything else actually yeah wh whatever <laughs> there is always right i mean <laughs> i just i just understood that i couldn't so when i saw something i just couldn't stop myself anymore from you know um or some talks about you know prearranged draws or whatever and I just try to, you know, look on, on some of the positives. Um, I mean, it's certainly good that it's not in Russia anymore. I think that is uh, uh, very, uh, very important. Um, I don't know too much about, you know, the situation in India, the political situation in India, how um, I would say trustworthy the government is or how, yeah, why you know, why they can pay su such sums. But obviously in India, there, there is a huge chess boom and they seem to be ready to pay for it. I just know an anecdote from, um, from a Western European country. I try to keep it as anonymous as possible because I have a, a source that wouldn't um, like to be, you know, stated in public. But there was a Western European country that wanted to, um, for some anniversary of their chess federation, they wanted to host the World Rapid and Blitz, actually. And this, this person just told me that the, how FIDE acted and what they wanted was just absolutely ridiculous. Like they just said, you know, as long as they act like this, no Western organizer will ever, ever do a FIDE event because they had unrealistic demands for like also rooms, you know, for officials and, and whatever, and just such short-term notice. I mean, you might know that the World Rapid and Blitz is usually, you know, they say in November that it happens in December. 
and a Western European country, you know, you need to have a plan for like in three years. If Switzerland would like to organize this, we would decide maybe for 2025 now. So if you, if you just plan from, oh, in three months we have that event, then obviously you will only have, you know, countries where either um, some party in the government can basically decide or uh, even more shady countries or like Russia, for example, where just, you know, Putin wants it, Putin gets it or whatever. Yeah? So I think you need to professionalize also in that manner in order to attract um, companies and organizers that would then attract other sponsors that you would like to see. Um, but you can't just plan two months in advance. I'm wondering now, like something popped into my, so, you know, just keeping this going with FIDE, do you think that maybe there should be like a rival organization to FIDE today? Um, there was something like this that Kasparov tried. It didn't really work, but I mean, circumstances are kind of different. I know that s some people have said that maybe chess players should unionize to get um, like better money. Um, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. I think for the moment, and that's why also, for example, I organized my own tournament. Basically, the idea was I wanted the Swiss Federation to make a proper Swiss championship rapid and blitz. They were always saying they don't get enough sponsors. So instead of just, you know, bringing that point home over and over again, I just said, okay, I'll organize a tournament myself and I'll see what I can do. And then because of the pandemic, I couldn't organize it a second time. And now I'm like, yeah, I'm not that sure if I want to do it again, but at least I understood, you know, it's possible. And actually in 2020, I already had everything it would have been. I think I would have, you know, had over $10,000 budget for a one day rapid tournament just for, you know, amateurs in Switzerland, which is that's really completely good. insane. Yeah, that's I, crazy. I had hotel rooms that I would have gotten a free room, be with a hotel, um, you know, different sponsors, uh, foundations. So at least I can talk for Switzerland. If uh, you do it in a way, um, in the right way, I would say it, it is possible. Right. But um, wait, back to your question. What, what was the exact question you had? Like, like, do you think that like maybe professional players should consider like branching off from FIDE? Because I've heard some like Hikaru Nakamura has kind of teased this a couple of times. You know, when he was talking, I think he said this in back in September, October, when this, uh, you know, Motiva company was the sponsor. And he was kind of also very disgusting I, I mean i watch a lot of car streams um but but then again like uh, some sometime like a couple of months ago he said like the something along the same line so um yeah i was kind of just wondering like uh what you thought about that um yeah exactly so my point uh, the point i tried to make was that i tried to do it privately um what i believe to be right mm -hmm. and for the moment i believe that's the best way um you know i from so many years in, um, not only in the Swiss Chess Federation and with the FIDE, but also I'm in the Swiss Olympic Athletes Commission, um, which is, um, yeah, all some athletes, we are, I think, eight athletes from all different sports. And then we represent all the athletes that are under the Swiss Olympic. And you just understand that things move so slowly when you have an official federation. And that doesn't have to be bad. I mean, I'm from a country where 
you know, politics, we just, the people can decide about everything, but obviously things move slower. Um, I think that you can do a lot of things by private, um, um, how, how can I say? Yeah, with private uh, funding or private people that do something. Actually, Car is doing a lot, I think, just having that channel, you know, he can drive so much. He has actually also some kind of power. And for example, Magnus that just decided, okay, I'll, I'll do my own online tour. Um, the problem with another federation is I think there is also so much, you know, different needs and wishes for, even if you take, let's say the top 500 of the world, I, there are so many different needs in there. And then you even take women and uh, male chess um, and now, I mean, find a consensus even among those 500 is basically impossible. True, very true. That's, for example, why we have this ACP, I think it's called, right? Mm -hmm. But um, I also think like, it's a nice thing, but there are photographers inside, there are organizers inside, there are professional players, coaches. How do you find even a consensus among all those people? Like, it's super hard. I think if there should be, a professional association there should only be professional players like because even already for me and for magnus we have completely different needs obviously magnus likes top tournaments all the time and i'm like i'll never get in there so i need something else to be able to play and he, you need tournaments to get to the top if not if you don't have the not so great GMs anymore. You also don't have the great GMs. Very so true. I think there's so many different, you know, needs in the chess world that if you just try to in unite everything in one, then you just, well, just deciding about one single thing will be impossible. So for now, I believe that, you know, just people that really, really um, are interested in getting chess to a place, to a better place with private initiatives can do a lot of things. Um, but I think that also some of the private companies or all the private companies also have to keep in mind that they have a big burden and a big responsibility as well, um, because many people look up to them and it depends also what they do and they can influence actually a lot of things. For example, I would hope that um, companies like uh, Chess24, Chessable, Chess.com if Fide really does big missteps, like still having Dvorkovic, I think it would be very nice to see them actually not work with Fide anymore. You know, just just putting pressure on Fide. Um, I understand that financially that's not the smartest smarter thing in the world, but I think, you know, only um, through getting some private people having some weight and then also using this um, in the right way, we can change something. I also like if you talk about like chess24 or chess.com, obviously they're rivals, but like just, you know, kind of talking about as a whole, they are in a, in a way, um, it's easier to hold them accountable than, than something like FIDE because FIDE has, you know, all these connections to governments or whatever. And, you know, you can find the, the, the email of, of Danny Wrench, like, and just email him if you're upset with something, you know, if you want to put pressure on a guy like that, you can not saying you should Danny Wrench by, by all accounts, he's like a very nice guy um so but uh yeah i mean that's uh i think it's a it's a it's a unique perspective i haven't heard on this issue before so so really thank you for for sharing that um like imagine like magnus and hikaru like you know 
joining forces and trying to organize some super GM tournament, like hiring their own sponsors. That would be an enormous tournament, probably. No, absolutely. And I mean, in a way, it's it is what is a bit happening, no, with that Meltwater Chess a Champions Chess Tour. And that's what I say. Then these um, you know, companies also have a responsibility because um yeah, I mean, how which players they invite might change some things, you know, it might change some players' life if, if they get five thousand euros just for um you know, losing all the games, for example, even if you lose a lot, you, you can, you can still get some decent prize money. So, so then you can say, well, why should the world champion have this power? And, and that's also sensible once more, but I just, in a way that's maybe a bit a negative viewpoint, but I lost a bit my, my trust and my hopes for, you know, a fee day that um, does the right things. So I'm trying, you know, to be one of the small players um, in a world where we try to create ourselves what seems to be right. And um, just hoping that all the people that have some power, you know, are thinking about chess as a whole. And one thing I like to say is that not always what is best for you is the right thing to do. So if we learn to make the right thing and not what just, um, you know, is best for our own pocket, I think uh, we can change the chess world, but the world in general. 100%. I have two more questions. Um, first of all, I was in Basel in November, and I'm going back to Switzerland, I think, for like a day next month. I'm going to Lake Constance, I think, like the Swiss side. So I was just wondering, you know, as a, as a Swiss man yourself, um, living on Swiss time, what's your favorite place in Switzerland? Um, I love Bern, where I live. Um, it's just the, the river and the city and you're so close to nature and it's just the right size for me. It's like, I don't know, 160,000 people, maybe something like that. Oh. So it's like a city, but it's cute for, for probably at least most Americans listening. Um, and then another one that is very beautiful is Lucerne. Actually, Lucerne is really a beautiful, um, city that has a lake basically in the city and it has mountains as well very close and yeah i would say it has everything you need so if you want to visit cities i would recommend lucerne and Bern. very nice i uh yeah i'm only in europe for a few more months so so thank you for the recommendations last thing oh, i'm wow. going to ask you you're leaving europe yeah yeah I, i've been in copenhagen since august and i'm here until end of june and then i go back to america uh, so wow uh, it's, it's been it's been lovely. I mean, I've, I I love it in Europe. Uh, I think the the chess culture here is way better than in America. I think I've learned a lot about you know hopefully stuff I can bring back to to America and try to try try to help fix. Um, because like for example, like the kind of like the chess leagues. All as far as I can tell, I mean, I live in New York City and um, we have the Marshall Chess Club. Love the Marshall Chess Club, but I don't really think they host anything like that in New York City. And I don't see why that's the case when there's so many chess players in New York or so many people that could be chess players. So like I, that, that's something that's very upsetting to me personally, that there aren't more like league competitions. Like when you think about soccer and basketball, how many independent like competitive leagues, if you want to just play basketball with your friends for money, like, you know, on the weekends, like why we can't have that for chess in New York City and like some kind of, you know, United States Chess Federation, like regulated way is kind of absurd to me. 
Um, so, and maybe I'm wrong and maybe one of my listeners can like email me or Twitter DM me and yell at me for being dumb, but I'm pretty sure like there's, there's really nothing like that aside from these like, like team leagues, like the, I'm talking about like the team championships, like that happen once a year. Um, yeah, but the last thing I wanted to just ask you just kind of to wrap up the podcast episode is just, you know, um, you've been doing this blog obviously for about a year. What's, uh, what's something you're excited for, for your blog in the future? Um, I'm really excited to start uh, doing video courses. So I have been working on it for a while. Um, I took that sabbatical. That's why, you know, it, it took quite a while. But uh, just this morning, I was working again, you know, on, on all the things I want to put in my first course, um, which is about how to study chess effectively. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to, you know, bring that out to people. And um, another thing is I, I would love to, you know, uh, at some point get uh, some few students um, just to, you know, work more really with people and understand what is really their problem and, and how can I help most. And yeah, that's two things I really look forward to. And um but yeah, with the students, I will definitely wait until I'm 100% healthy again, because it's tough for me to schedule appointments if you're not sure if you can focus fully or not. Um, so it's always a bit of a hustle. It's good that I can work for myself. But uh, when I will be fully fit again, hopefully by the end of this year, um, I will try to take on some students from different levels. And then, you know, just, just honing the craft of helping people. I think uh, that's a big thing for me. I, that's uh, I've, I mean I, I'm wishing you the best for your health, of course. And um, but I you know I'm I'm glad you uh, you're going to be doing video. I know you have somewhere on your like on your blog that you you know you've mentioned that you have some kind of like you have some social anxiety. But I actually think you know you're 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 very well spoken and uh, like this was really a pleasure. I really enjoy this conversation. So anytime you want to plug something on a podcast, you know, feel free to come back and just DM me and we can make it work. Because I, I mean, I really enjoyed learning from you about about chess. So um, yeah, guys, check out uh, Noel's blog. Um, it's nextlevelchess.blog, I believe. Um, you, you have a newsletter, so you can be updated with everything. Um, which I think it's a it's a great newsletter to to follow. Um, if you know, if you want some more chess in your digest and otherwise, uh, I want to thank you all for listening to this episode of, uh, of the podcast, you know, check out, uh, check us out on Twitter at 64 pod, uh, Noel, your Twitter's, I just think your name, right. It's like at Noel Studer, right? Exactly. I believe so. Yep. So, you know, follow Noel on Twitter. Um, and, uh, yeah, thanks to Chessable as always for sponsoring the podcast. If you want to learn more about my favorite Chessable courses, chessable.com slash 64 pod, um, shout out to aim chess as always for being a sponsor. Um, you know the code David30 for your first month, uh, 30% off with Aim Chess. And lastly, I want to thank my Patreon subscribers, um, specifically Paul Harbright, my platinum patron. If you guys want to support the podcast financially for as little as a dollar a month, check us out, patreon.com slash 64 podcast. Um, this was a pleasure. Noel, uh, we'll we'll talk again and uh really thanks so much for coming on. This it was well worth the wait. So I uh, hope we do it again. It was my pleasure. See ya, David. See you, Noel, and uh, see you guys next week.